good evening. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you joined us today. If you traveled uh, to be with your family, if you're new in the community and you tried us out, if you've been in the community and you are trying us out, we are grateful. Thank you for joining us. This is an interesting evening in which things are juxtaposed against one another. We have uh, darkness and we have light. We have an infant. We have the last table that Jesus shared with his disciples. We have uh, scripture about peace, yet we have a rambunctious crowd that's packed in. All of these things capture the human experience, the human condition, and also God's love for us. And so I hope that um, everything that we've planned uh, will help you hear that message this evening. If you have children tonight, don't worry about it. We're grateful that you made it. My mercy, how'd you even make it here? In clothes that they're in, I don't know how you did it, um, but I'm grateful that you did it. And if they are loud, if they're rambunctious, they're in the building, and that's all that matters to us. Uh, so thank you for joining us. If you'll stand as you're able, and we'll sing the first four verses of O Come All Ye Faithful.
please be seated. The Advent wreath is made of various evergreens, signifying continuous life. The circle of the wreath, which has no beginning or end, symbolizes the eternity of God and the everlasting life found in Christ. The four colored candles represent the four weeks in Advent. Three candles are purple and one is pink. The purple candles in particular symbolize hope, peace, and love. The pink candle is lit on the third Sunday and represents joy. The progressive lighting of the candles symbolizes the expectation and hope surrounding our Lord's first coming into the world and the anticipation of his second coming. The white candle is the Christ candle. From the center of the wreath, it reminds us that the birth of Jesus is the heart of this season. The Christ candle symbolizes the light of God coming into the world through the birth of his son. We light the Christ candle as a symbol of God's incarnation. May we remember that this incarnation is the heart of Christmas. May we live each day exemplifying Christ's light, Christ as the light of the world. O come, O come, Emmanuel.
as the choir is going back, I'll tell you that we have um, so many special guests, family members that have come from such a long distance to join us tonight. Um, it may be of note to you, a minister who grew up in this church, Susan Leonard Ray, is here tonight, and her husband Keith, Susan, and their children. And Susan is currently the Anderson District Superintendent, and Keith is at Clemson United Methodist. I'll tell you about Susan because of her connection to you. But she also is a primary reason that I'm here today. And for that, I'm deeply grateful for this opportunity. We're going to read different parts of the scripture passage. So if you like to read along, if you can um, read. I know we had the lights dimmed on purpose. If you can read along, you certainly are invited to. We're going to start on page 1590. And it's Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And I read different parts of it. So if you want to read along, if you'll leave your Bible open, because I'll stop periodically. We'll start on page 1590. Before we begin, I'll ask you, how much do you know when you say yes to something? Do you want to buy this car? How much do you truly know about that car? Would you like a scholarship to this particular university when you have scholarship opportunities for multiple universities? How much do you know when you say yes? Would you be willing to be my date at a wedding? How much do you know about what's going to happen that night, what the wedding's going to be, what the dinner's going to be, what kind of commitment this is going to be, whom I'm going to meet? Would you like to make an offer on this house? These are complicated questions all over different parts of life that when you say yes, you have an inkling, but you're not certain. Just remember nine months before this text, Mary and Elizabeth said yes to being mothers. Said that they would be mothers at very different phases of their life, one in the teenage years and one in their twilight years. They said yes nine months ago. And then this story happens. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And I'll read more of it if you'd like to read along. The ordinary, the ordinary in this story, if you did not have a baby, was that this would be terribly annoying. How many of you want to go to Atlanta when all of the South is going to Atlanta? How many of you want to go to New York when all the North is going to New York? You don't want to do it. In fact, our entire family philosophy is based on going the opposite direction of where the majority of people are going. My children will tell you, even on Saturdays, we start early because if we are going to beat the crowd all day long, we're going to have fun, we're not going to get in traffic. 
just ordinarily. This would be incredibly annoying to have to make this trip in which you're walking and riding multiple days and you're going to very sketchy places. What's the longest you've ever been on the interstate? The longest trip you've ever had, the most trouble you've ever had on the interstate. It comes up like that, I'm sure, and if you can set it down and focus. Imagine walking. Walking tens, hundreds of miles to this place because we got to do this dumb census because we can get more taxes. It'd be annoying. What about the extraordinary part of this story? A woman is nine and three quarter months pregnant and she is making that same ride, walking and riding multiple days, going through sketchy areas, and guess what? She didn't know that the Caesar would declare this order when she said yes to being a mother. She didn't know she was going to make this trip. Now, if you compare you're going to be the mother of the Savior of the entire planet and you didn't even know you were going to have a baby and you're not even married yet, maybe a trip isn't that bad. But if you told someone you are going to have a baby, do you want to have it? And they said, yes. She's not thinking about this trip. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So what's an ordinary shepherd night? What are you doing normally when you're guarding the sheep on an ordinary night on a Tuesday? You're just trying to stay awake, aren't you? We've seen in Scripture passages both before this text and after this text people who are trying to stay awake in the middle of the night and taking shifts and falling asleep, right? If you've ever had to have the night shift, if you've ever had to work through the night shift for an extended amount of time or a short amount of time, you realize how significant this sleep is. And these guys are splitting up, who's staying up and keeping the sheep, and what do you want to bet, one of them was sick the night before, didn't take his turn, now i got to take my turn, i got to do this. They're thinking about who's staying up tonight. What's that noise in the bushes? That's the ordinary thought that a shepherd is thinking on a Tuesday, guarding the sheep. Is it a predator? Is it a thief? It's never easy to be the one that stays up to stop moving and stay awake. This is what Bishop Craig Satterley said about shepherds. By the time of Jesus, shepherding had become a profession most likely to be filled from the bottom rung of the social ladder by persons who could not find what was regarded as decent work. 
Society stereotyped shepherds as liars, degenerates, and thieves. The testimony of shepherds was not admissible in court, and many towns had ordinances barring shepherds from their city limits. What's the ordinary life of a shepherd? Not great. Not exciting. Not authoritative. Not connected to God more than likely because they have to work many Sabbaths. We get 52 chances a year to worship at the traditional time. I bet many of you have jobs that are after those Sundays. You have commitments that are after those Sundays. And you can understand the struggle of a shepherd to ever get there. So ordinarily, their only concern on this night is who's staying up. But now we're extraordinary. We've got a choral concert. Glory, beauty, authority. These are foreign things that one should fear if you're a shepherd. If you see that kind of beauty in the sky, if you see someone speaking that authoritatively, if you see someone appear that was not previously there, your number one rational emotion is to do exactly the opposite of every phrase of every calling in the entire Bible, which is three words. What? Do not fear. Okay. Okay, I won't fear then. Good news that you're the first to hear. You know what kind of qualifiers those are? Typically, they don't get good news. I would think at best they get neutral news. We've taken these animals, we've taken them to the spot they were going to be, no one was harmed, we've made a menial amount of money. They've got good news. And they are the first ones to hear it. It's truly extraordinary. And finally, they have wonderful music. You ever hear music so amazing that you well up? Wherever it may be. Whether it's part of a montage on YouTube, whether it's in the choir, whether it's in the band, whether it's in your car, whether it's at a concert for middle schoolers. When you hear music and it strikes a chord within you, a lot of times you well up, don't you? These guys now have these three things in a way that they normally never would because they normally never have any authority or participation in worship. They have extraordinary worship. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So what would the ordinary thing be in that moment? To question what they just saw and to continue what they were doing already. Isn't that the ordinary thing to do? Don't you sometimes see greatness? Don't you sometimes see an opportunity to change? And you go, I don't know. I don't know if that's right. It's in our nature, it's in our nature to question. It couldn't be real. You know why? Because we've been burned many times when we've said yes to something. Promises that were made. 
opportunities that were offered. Things that we thought that were going to happen and we said yes and it didn't work out. And so anybody that comes along that offers a special thing that is extraordinary, we think, I don't know. Would any of you blame them for staying exactly where they were? For staying with the animals, doing what they were doing before that event and doing the thing that they know? Absolutely not. Decades after this story, after Jesus' death and resurrection, people are gathered together from all different nations speaking all different languages. And the Holy Spirit comes in that room and people hear the message in their native tongue and the disciples are truly impressing people. And in that moment, leaders say, no, it's not real. No, they've just been drinking today. They literally say that. It's in our nature to question this extraordinary thing and to stay home, to stay in the field, to do what we do. What would be the extraordinary thing to do? To answer a call that we've been given. To go. To serve. We don't say, whoa, that was crazy, let's wait and see. We don't say, hey, let's send one guy and see if he makes it back while we stay exactly where we are. The shepherds left their animals, their livelihood, their purpose, their profession, the thing that they knew to do a completely different thing. Now, does that completely pertain to you? No, because you're not keeping sheep. And you might not be asked to go a great distance. But I guarantee that there is a calling on your life that has found you in some way, shape, or form. And you've got to consider, do I want to be ordinary? Do I want to be extraordinary? And this story gives us an amazing version of people answering. And you know what they did? These shepherds who would be ignored because people could smell them far before they get there. And think, you don't have any authority. You don't have any purpose. These shepherds declared a message that people heard and understood and were um, inspired by that they could then live. You know how many times that will then happen in Jesus' life? He'll heal people. He'll forgive people. He'll call people. And those people will go to a great crowd and say, you won't believe what happened. And that great crowd will hear from them. So, how many of you will go forth from this place and sit in a very common public place in the workplace or in your home and say, none of you will believe what Jesus has done for me? I'm going to tell all of you. Might be unlikely. With your words. But I guarantee that they watch your actions, your faith, your belief, what you do all the time before you ever say anything. You don't even have to say anything. They see it. Be extraordinary, as Mary was, as Elizabeth was, as the shepherds were, as they were called by an amazing God. No one in the story knew exactly what would happen when they said yes. And they continued on regardless of the circumstances because of a deep well of faith and belief in their calling of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you all to take your hymnals that are in front of you and turn to page 12. These are words in the United Methodist Church that we use as part of Holy Communion, and they mean a great deal to us. 
We understand if they might be confusing to you, if they might not mean a great deal to you. And if you'd like to read along with us, you certainly can. If you'd like to simply listen, you certainly can. I think you'll hear something that's completely helpful to the human condition in the way that you interact with others. If you'll read the bold with me. Christ our Lord invites to His table all who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One church, one body, the entire family sharing together of the shortcomings that we have because we're human. It's significant to acknowledge the ways in which we struggle to live out what God wants. It's equally significant to say the second part. You cannot have one without the other. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. One of the reasons we stay and keep doing exactly what we're doing is we figure this is the best that we will ever do. It's the best we will ever be. You are forgiven. Do not carry that burden. Participate in this table and understand the love that God has, that God sent His Son to speak to us. It's amazing. Now, typically, we would read um, a much longer version of what's going to happen in the table given this evening. I want you just to look. This is the far end of this story of Jesus speaking to His disciples around a table surrounded by people who wanted to harm them in Jerusalem. And in that moment, when every authority was turning on him, and even some of his peers and loved ones were turning on him, he could have lashed out against humanity and said, I don't know why I bothered. Instead, in that moment, Jesus took elements that you use every day, common elements, and said, this is my body. I break this for you. I break my body for you that you may break yours for others. And that quiet, simple message has made it all the way to us in 2018. The people of the Old Testament understood covenants. They understood promises. They understood making them. They struggled to keep them just as we just read. He said, this is my new covenant. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. A practice that has lasted all the way to today in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So these simple elements of bread and wine, Jesus made very extraordinary and conveyed that love to us that we could convey it to others.
Now again, because of where we are and what we're doing in the crowd that we have, the communion's going to be entirely different than we normally serve. So if this is your first night, hey, you've got a leg up on everyone else. Everyone else is thinking about the way we normally do it. Um, I'm going to call our servers forward. Our pastors serving today are John and Kathy Tomanko. They're retired clergy from the Illinois Conference. Uh, John, an ordained elder, and Kathy, an ordained deacon. Um, very uh, neat that they've joined us. They typically go to the 9 a.m. service. If y'all stretch out that way. They typically go to the 9 a.m. service. Um, so if you haven't seen them, they are really cool. Kathy is involved in the STEP program um, down the street. This is representatives of the Stepping Stones class. This class formed in the last 12 months is the youngest class on our campus, which means there are now two classes younger than me on this campus. And I'm assuming that's gonna continue uh, over and over again. Uh, this is a new reality in my life. The Stepping Stones are a great new class. Uh, many of them grew up here and have brought loved ones back here and we're grateful for all of you for serving. We are going to have six stations. We're going to have one here, one here, one in the absolute back at that door, and the other one in that door, and two are going to come up to y'all. And so everyone should be right around where they're going to be served. We serve by intention, which means that one of our people will give you a piece of bread, and you dip it into the cup and then eat it. You're going to go by the outside aisle, and ushers, if y'all would come down now, we can have a visual. You're going to go by the outside aisle and return by the center aisle. So where the usher, the back ushers stop, you're going to the back. See them right here? If you're in the front of them, then you're coming forward. So you'll come forward and can return by the center aisle. If communion is not a comfortable practice for you, you don't quite understand it, you certainly do not have to participate. But in the United Methodist Church, anyone who wants to participate of any age is welcome to do so. Bread, people. Bread.
by the outside in.
not have a pen. If any child doesn't have a pen, we make sure that they do. Any more children that do not have a candle, we'll make sure that you get one. Okay. If you'll turn to page 239, we're going to sing Silent Night. The acolytes are going to come to every end and light your candle. Candle lighting fundamental. You turn your candle if it's not lit. The one that it is lit, keep it just like it is. And let that person come to you. Uh, it helps with uh, wax on your hands. We will, uh, if you'll stand, we'll light everyone's candle, then we'll sing Silent Night.
Thank you to everyone who made this service special. Or one last thing that we're going to ask you to do on your way out, if you'll use the flashlights on your cell phone to light the sidewalk for people as they go out uh, so that we have plenty of light for people to make it to their car. You are taking light into the darkness. Thank you all for coming. May you have a blessed Christmas. Go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.